Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. Today is June 26, 2018. My guest on the show is Louis Milan. Louis is the CTO and co-founder of Universal Reward Protocol. He has an engineering degree and master's of engineering from Ecole Polytechnique in Paris and UC Berkeley. His work experience previously before starting Universal Reward Protocol was at Parrot and Auto Libre, one of the biggest car sharing services in France. Universal Reward Protocol started out of a research project from Ecole Polytechnique and UC Berkeley. Universal Reward Protocol is a blockchain-based protocol where retailers can reward shoppers for multiple behaviors like like simply visiting the store. And by accepting to share their shopping data with the network, shopper reward uh, shopper earns reward tokens while the data is used by retailers to build a redemption offers that best suits each customer's needs. Shoppers can then redeem their tokens through these exclusive and personalized personalized offers. So, Lewis, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, what is wrong with the the shopping experience currently, and how can it be improved? Okay, so we worked with a lot of retailers uh, for the past three years, and in our experience, uh, the shopping experience currently uh, lacks personalization. So, all the brands and the retailers want to know the consumer better to be able to to be the one who satisfy your needs because it's hard to to know people currently they have two ways of doing that either by building a loyalty program but then they can only know about people who are already purchasing their products not about potential customers or they buy data in bulk from facebook google etc to try and target you but then it's not really personalized and um, loyalty programs themselves have several problems. We can get into that later, but we think we can do much better by uh, leveraging blockchain and building a universal reward program that targets not only the purchasing behavior, but all types of shopping behavior, including uh, visiting stores, browsing online, posting on social media, so that the, the customer enters a more transparent and uh, direct relationship with the brand that they want to interact with and actually consents to share data with them directly. So the examples that you mentioned of the uh, different types of shopping data, they vary quite substantially. So in-store shopping, online shopping, what are the challenges of each of those approaches to tracking the user data, uh, depending on those different two types of data types? Okay, yeah. So first of all, the, the protocol itself is simply about building an infrastructure that allows different type of decentralized application to, to implement the protocol and to analyze a different type of shopping behavior for that. But uh, the protocol itself is not about collecting or it, it, the product will build won't uh, collect or analyze any shopping. But uh, to answer your question, I think the, we've developed in the past three years, the same team as Universal Rebel Protocol, an in-store solution that analyzes the shopping behavior of consumers inside the stores. So here the challenge is that you need some kind of IoT to collect data. It's actually much easier, I think, to collect, like a simple pixel in a shopping website enables a third party to, to get access to a lot of data. The social networks have uh, each have different APIs. It's the, the challenge there is more about being able to process 
all the data that is generated, which is massive. So once you have collected this data and let's say imported it, or the app has now access to various types of data from in-store data or in-store or online shopping data, then what is the next step in uh, the process? Okay, so once the shopper has consented to a reward campaign and uh, this consent has been posted on the blockchain, then the decentralized applications are notified. And uh, let's say the campaign was for in-store behavior, for example, and uh, the several decentralized applications on the protocol that can analyze and collect in-store data will be notified. This shopper is added to the whitelist and they start collecting it. And their goal is to produce what we call the proof of behavior, which is the um, a proof that the, the, the shopper's behavior has fulfilled the conditions of the campaign, which is represented by a smart contract on ERP. So basically, the decentralized application is collecting the shopper's data, and it's constant, constantly trying to produce at least one data point that fulfills all the conditions of the campaign. And if it's able to do so, then it notifies the smart contract, which can in turn uh, verify the provenance of the proof of behavior, authenticates basically the proof. And once the proof is authenticated by the smart contract, it releases the reward directly to the shopper. So a store owner might come back and see this idea and say to you, well, why would I want to, why would I want to tell shoppers what I want them to do? What is, what is the benefit from the perspective of a store owner to tell shoppers how to behave? Doesn't a store owner just want shoppers to come in and doesn't really have any preference as to what behaviors they take? Why would it be in the interest of a store owner to to be able to reward specific behaviors? That's a very good question. Uh, we think that different types of retailers in terms of uh, specialization of products sold, and the size of the retailer will change the use cases they're interested in. Obviously, the first uh, macro, let's say, behavior that retailers are interested in incentivizing is just simply walking past, like walking door, entering the store. Uh, that's the first type of behavior that they want people to to do. And then inside the store, more micro behaviors, let's say one of our clients, uh, it's a large uh, hypermarket chain in France, and they have uh, basically the, the stores in two parts. There's the food part, food sections of the store, and there's the non-food. And what they observe is that the non-food sections are are suffering a lot more currently than the food sections because people have to buy food and they go to the hypermarket to do that generally, but they don't buy TVs anymore. They don't buy fridges, whatever, electronics, etc. So, but the, the store has good deals in a way, but it's just people still prefer to buy on Amazon. And here the retailer can be interested to re-dynamize, let's say, these, uh, these sections of the store, these underperforming sections to, to tell people, Hey, why don't you check out? the TV section of this hypermarket and look around a little bit to see if something interests you. Because people, it's a, it's becoming more and more of a trend for people to have the reflex to go online for these type of products. And they don't even think about checking these types of store for uh, interesting offers. So that's an example. And uh, we think there's several others that can emerge. And that's also why we're working with the retailers and brands to establish what types of uh, specific use case they're interested in. So we've talked about the type of behavior that they may want a store would potentially want to incentivize a customer to take. So what are the types of rewards that uh, a store could give to a consumer if they follow this or if they uh, take the actions that 
are set out by the uh, store owner or requested. So uh, in Universal Real Protocol, the, the type of reward is always the same. It's always under the form of the URP token. It's just a matter of uh, how much URP token uh, the retailer or the brand is going to give uh, to the shopper. To give you a, a general idea, I read a very interesting report on a blog called Marketing Land uh, last week saying that to generate one incremental visit to a point of sale, in the U.S., they typically spend $23. The retailer spends $23 to generate one incremental visit, meaning that if someone comes five times a year just to make them come a sixth time, it costs more than 20 bucks. And for some specialized type of retailers, it's over $50, which means that obviously they won't take all of this budget and use it as a reward. But even if you take 10% of that or 20% of that and uh, you offer people reward of $4, $2, $4 to just walk into a store, spend five minutes in it. If, if they're not interested, they can walk out and not have to buy anything, no strings attached. We think that's a very interesting value proposition to shoppers. And at the same time, it's something that retailers already have huge budget to spend on. It's just it's very inefficient because there are a lot of intermediaries. And that's also how blockchain we think is really interesting to work with. Because it allows us to remove a lot of the intermediaries that are costing retailers uh, money to to make people walk in. So the reward is in the form of a a URP token. And so tell me more about the URP token. So it's used as a reward. Retailers will be purchasing it in order to then use it to reward customers with who you know perform correct behaviors. And then uh, what can the customers do with the URP token? Why, why would they want my, a customer might say, okay, so I've gone through and I've done all this work or I've changed my behaviors in a way in order to earn this token. So what does it entitle them to? Does it vary on a case by case basis? And can each retailer like specify what the URP token, uh, the amount of URP token that each customer receives and then what is the value of the URP token in terms of once a person owns it? Okay, yeah. So basically, it's up to the retailer or to brands to decide how much URP token they want to give out, depending on the, the use case and the type of interaction. It's not only about the shopper modifying their behavior; it's about them accepting to interact with the brand. Basically, so I want to, I'm willing to engage with this retailer with this brand. So yeah, the amount is totally up to the creator of the campaign. We'll obviously give them tools to try and forecast the efficiency of the campaign based on the, on the amount of the reward. And then the value of the URP token, the utility of it to the shopper is that it gives access to, to these personalized offers. As we said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we think that what's wrong with the shopping experience is the lack of personalization. And since shoppers in URP uh, consent to interact and to engage with a brand, then the brand gets data about them and using this data, that's uh, been acquired, let's say, very transparently, they can build a personalized offer saying, okay, I saw you were willing to spend three minutes in the TV section of my hypermarket or in the electronics section, which means that you're, you have an affinity towards this product, probably. And so I can make a personalized coupon for you worth maybe five euros. Like, so it's a, let's say it's a 5% off, a hundred dollars worth of, um, of products in the electronics section. And I will offer you this coupon in exchange for these tokens. So the tokens that you collected by coming to my store or engaging with other brands, because the, the token is universal, 
Uh, you can spend these tokens basically to purchase promotions or coupons. So that's in the first step because in, in the long term, we want uh, the token to be able to be used as a, as a currency. Let's say that people will be able to purchase products directly with the token, except in the short term, that's unrealistic because uh, retailers won't integrate their uh, checkout system with the token, even with any kind of blockchain. Let's say it's going to be a while before you can pay with Bitcoin or Ether in any type of store. Uh, that's all in with an ERC20. So in the first phase to, to get the, the acquisition of all shoppers, we want to let them purchase the coupon basically. And it works pretty well. It's, it's a, it's the same reasoning as in the loyalty program. We conducted a survey last month, uh, showing that people really like reward programs. They, they love to collect points, uh, for doing this and that. But it's very complicated when they have 12 different types of points that they redeem and they don't know which one to redeem how. Here is one kind of point. So if you engage with uh, Starbucks on Instagram and then you go to Macy's in a store and you do this and that, you collect a thousand different ERP tokens. And then you see that there is a one given coupon worth a hundred tokens. That's very interesting to you. And you get purchasing on store. And uh, finally, the, um, we think that the universality of the token, the fact that it's redeemable with all retailers and brands in the in the network is very interesting to shoppers. And on top of that, if shoppers don't like the promotions that they're offered, that the, the personalized offers that they have, they can still exchange the token directly for fiat. So we'll, we'll have a button in the app allowing any person when they want to, to just cash out and sell the points in exchange for money. Where is the shopping experience going what trends are you seeing in the shopping experience that will be developing over the next you know 15 to 5 to 10 15 years in in brick and mortar stores and also in online stores because there seems to be a change happening in people's online shopping behaviors where people are spending the majority of their online shopping uh, their shopping time online versus in store Presumably, this trend would continue. And so will this lead to the end of brick and mortar stores? And what what benefits do people see to go in store when they can do all their shopping online? Yeah, so that, that's a trend that's been going on for a while. And people have been announcing the end of brick and mortar stores for a decade now, uh, at least. And uh, actually, it's not happening. We don't see it happening even in the near future or the longer term, like 30 years, because currently uh, people tend to forget that 90% of all sales still happen offline. So, so people spend longer and longer shopping online, more and more time every every year. But it's also it's simply the, the shopping path, let's say, that's more complicated than before. So the generation of our parents, they want to buy something, they just went to the store, browse the three different physical stores and then bought it. And so as we just tend to research online more and then Sometimes we buy online too, but people still make a lot more purchases offline. So we think that's a, a tremendous lever for retailers to, to use. Uh, the fact that people still like to touch, to feel the products, to actually, for a clothes, you, you like to try it on, for a TV, you want to actually look at it first. And so we think that it's the, the, the biggest trend in retail now and in the next 10 years is about integrating very intimately the online and offline experience. And making it so that the shopper 
has a seamless experience when they're going from one channel to the other. So I have a really high level of personalization on Amazon, for example, and I can have a really high level of personalization on the online store of a given retailer. But if then I go offline and go to their store and I have zero personalization, that's really bad because it's a break in the shopping path and it leads to lower conversion rates. So we think it's about integrating the offline and the online into one seamless experience. But of course, I think shopping is continuing to, to move to mobile, especially. And so maybe it'll, it'll end up being 50-50, but I don't see brick and mortar stores disappearing completely. What devices can you use to collect this data? And will, will you be partnering with other companies to uh, integrate your platform into, or, or at least a, what, how will you be linking the data collection with uh, your platform? Like, uh, what partners are you working with uh, in this space? And what are the challenges of, of the, from the data collection side? I know this isn't like the area that you're focusing on, but how will you guys be working with, uh, or will you be working with other data collection or IoT device uh, companies? Yeah, of course. Like, currently, the solution that we have is deployed with uh, very large retailers, but uh, there's just too many stores in the world for us to, to, to deploy them all. So, of course, we'll, we'll want others, um, let's say competitors of the solution that we built uh, for in-store analysis to integrate with the universal reward protocol because there's a, a lot of space for everyone here. For example, we've already tried, like, uh, it works well for, for some shopping centers to, instead of deploying our own IoT infrastructure, just using the existing Cisco access points that are already deployed. And Cisco is a huge company that deployed uh, hardware in tens of thousands of stores across the planet. And the ability, for example, to collect data using this existing infrastructure is very powerful. And uh, we know there are other solutions that manage to do that as well. And so a big part of developing the protocol is actually going to be for us to enable these solutions to integrate very easily with the protocol. So they have their own data collection means, like their own IoT infrastructure, or for example, for a, an applica- a mobile application, their own SDK to collect the data. But developing the protocol, what we're doing currently, building the prototype, is actually specifying exactly the rules about the data format, for example, that the D app needs to send to the smart contract to to trigger the rewarding and what rules of production of this proof of behavior you have to follow to be URP compliant. So that's what we're developing right now. And then part of our work is going to have to find, I think in the first phase, it's the, the beginning of the curve, let's say, we'll have to find the first solutions and uh, integrate them, help them integrate with the protocol. And then once uh, it gets big enough, I think uh, a lot of decentralized application will be happy to have an additional stream of revenue by uh, using the protocol. So what are the types of behaviors that you found that consumers don't like doing and which types of behaviors have you found that consumers are more likely to engage in in the data that you've gathered so far and maybe talk about also the you know the areas where this where your solution is currently deployed and we can save that maybe for another question but maybe first talk about the types of behaviors and then we can talk about the the areas where your platform is currently deployed so the types of behavior that we observe so currently the solution is more in a passive way more observing the behaviors and trying to modify them. But what we observe is there is several types of shoppers 
is basically the, the very efficient ones that already know what they're coming to do and they don't want to be disturbed. They don't want to make detours or lose time. There is on the other end of the spectrum, the, uh, the browser, the person that just happened to walk in and is just browsing around in the store and is really willing to engage with the products and spend a little bit of time. And in the middle, say, there's a whole spectrum, but you can generally divide people into these, these broad categories. Obviously, the better target is the browser, uh, the person that's actually willing to, to be engaged with and to, and to try to improve their shopping experience. Whereas the very efficient one uh, just wants to, to get their stuff done. We've, uh, we've installed a solution in several types of, of stores, like uh, clothing premium clothes, let's say shopping centers, uh, one in the middle of uh, in the center of Paris. And what's interesting there is that the product categories are very segregated. It's all part of the store for men, it's two, the first two floors. As the women, kids, and we see shopping trips where the person obviously comes to buy, for example, lingerie, but they still spend 20 minutes looking at the at the handbags that are next to it. And that's also how these stores are built. They are built with this in mind, trying to get people to make a detour and look at the handbag and, and on the way to, to, buy, to buying a bra. But what we're doing is trying to help retailers stress this, like uh, improve this thing by uh, incentivizing people to do that. They will still be able to, to do that on their own, but we're giving them an additional incentive to do so. And you you uh, communicate these tasks to the user through a mobile application, and then the mobile application contains, let's say I'm going to uh, the local shopping mall, and I decide I'm going to open my application. I have your app installed, and it shows various uh, stores within the mall which offer are offering rewards or how will that work from from uh, the end user's perspective once they're in the ecosystem how do they learn about which rewards are available and what changes they need to or what behavior changes they need to take in order to get rewards okay so from the shopper's perspective it's a, indeed a mobile application where they have a kind of a stream of campaigns that they can sort by brands by most recent by most reward uh, by geography etc obviously we're in a, in a very privacy friendly approach uh, to this problem so by default the person doesn't have to tell us anything about them uh, neither their geolocation their their age their gender etc but if they don't give us anything, then it's going to be really hard for us to filter through the campaigns to try to display only the most relevant campaigns for them. So they'll have more work looking for the right campaign. And if they do give us some details about their preferences, then we can, from the get-go, only display campaigns that are relevant to them. And it will also learn from the interaction with the user. For example, if I saw that a month ago, you consented to a Macy's campaign then I'm more likely to display the newest Macy campaign than I am for several others that she declined to consent to. So, uh, of course, there's a, um, a user interface and user experience challenge to, to being able to, to filter out the non-relevant campaigns so that only you only see campaigns you're likely to, to consent to. But uh, I think, as I said, the, the default setting is we don't ask people to tell us anything and then we'll only learn from their interactions with the app. And if they choose to, to make the task easier, then it's all the better for them. And uh, this data only stays in the app. We don't, we don't upload it to the cloud. It's just uh, 
the filtering will be done on the device. And what's the strategy for onboarding new stores and expanding the number of participating retailers? That's uh, one reason that we, we have uh, at our board of advisors is the way it is. We have one person that's the former head of innovation, a very large uh, retailer. It's actually a galaxy of retailers uh, that span hypermarket, but also sports, specialized retail, a lot of stuff. And uh, we have another advisor that uh, works at a very large food company. So obviously our primary targets will be to try and tackle these clients first. We're already talking with a lot of brands. We've been talking a lot about stores and retailers, but uh, brands are a very good target for URP too. Because currently, like a brand like Nike, they have a few stores in the world, but very few. And mostly they can't interact with you directly. Only the retailer that sells the Nike shoes interacts with you. And Nike has a lot of trouble knowing who you are as a consumer. And the ability for them to get a channel like URP where they can directly interact and engage with shoppers is very appealing. And so we are entering this, uh, these talks with the brands and the retailers. Our objective is to sign pilots for the end of the year. So we're currently building the prototype. We want to, to conduct pilots on the testnet starting around Christmas of this year and uh, do that for about six months before the launch. So we have uh, a lot of feedback in terms of security, in terms of UI, about what people like and don't like and what the brands really want to use the product for before we actually launch. So that's uh, that's going to be our strategy for the early adopters. And then what we think is that it's mostly about attracting shoppers. With the We get a few brands and retailers attracting a massive number of shoppers with the promise of a universal point that can be redeemed or cashed out. And then all the different brands and retailers will basically flood the crowd towards the, the audience. So, Luis, what stage of development is the platform currently in? When did you guys start working on this project? We started working on it almost a year ago now. Started uh, thinking about like the, the state of the, the retail industry and this lack of personalization. Then we thought about how blockchain could be a really good tool to tackle that. And uh, we actually really, I think the inception of the URP idea was about nine months ago. And now the stage of development is we, we actually produced our white paper last month. We're currently working on a technical white paper. We have a technical partnership with Consensus to develop an MVP of the solution. So our objective is to, to produce a technical white paper by mid-July and then a demo of the protocol and the interfaces of the protocol uh, by the end of the summer before the crowd sale begins and, uh, and then move on from that MVP to an actual pilot on the testnet with different brands and retailers. So our, our roadmap is basically a technical white paper next month, then the demo in two to three months, the first pilots in six months, and then the launch in a year. It's going to be intense. So at what at what stage is the crowd sale taking place in that roadmap? So technical white paper. After the release of the demo, basically during the we're currently in the private sale, so we're we're collecting funds to finance. It's the beginning of the ICO basically, but before the crowd sale, uh, which is in September. I want to, to be able to show people how it works and uh, not only have a technical white paper. And uh, so that's also why we partner with Consensus to, to give us the additional capacity to really develop this MVP well and fast and to be able to give people something that they can actually play with 
even if it's not actual rewarding. Like they won't probably won't be able to walk into a store in August. That will probably have to end for the end of the year. But we'll have the code available showing how decentralized applications can connect to the protocol. And the demo will already be connected to one app, which will be the, the Oxy solution that we develop that works in stores. And where do you see this platform? Not in the short term, as we've been discussing, but in a more longer term view of, let's say, five or 10 years. Can you tell us what the vision looks like to you of of how the platform will evolve and what the longer term goals are? Sure. So our vision is for Universal River Protocol to become the overarching infrastructure for interaction between brands and shoppers. So currently, a lot of that happens inside loyalty programs. A lot of that happens through branded campaigns distributed through uh, the data platforms like uh, Facebook and Google. And we think that in the future, shoppers are going to want to interact with the brands that they choose to interact with, share data with them in exchange for a more personalized and more fluid shopping experience. And uh, we would like to, yeah, to, to, to have... Uh, URP become the platform where people go to, to to personalize their shopping experience and to share data with the, the entities they, they like. So my guest on the show today has been Louis uh, Milan. Uh, Louis, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and we look forward to hearing from you again soon. And we'd love to have you back on the show after your next release. And thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Enjoy. It was a pleasure. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. Bounty Zero X does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the Bounty Zero X podcast or website.